So good morning, Bessels. My name is Charlie. I'm the other minister here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us uh, wherever you are. Just before we get started this morning, uh, one quick notice, and that's a congratulations to Ruth, Andy, and Rory on the birth of Theodore Duncan Wood McGilp, or Theo, born on the 3rd of June, weighing seven pounds and one ounce. Congratulations, Ruth and Andy. We are absolutely delighted for you. And uh, just one other thing, I just noticed this pen here. Um, I'm going to remove that this week just to prevent this from happening again. And the ugliness of what sin can do to someone. This is Jesus, crowned with glory and honour. So as Andy said, today is the last sermon in a series called Songs in the Key of Life, where we've been looking at the Psalms. The text for today's sermon is Psalm 145, and the theme is praise. But before we start, what a week it has been. Tragic and overwhelming. Right in the middle of the current global coronavirus pandemic, this happened. And I'm sure, like me, all of you, looked on in horror last week as the video emerged of George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man being choked to death by four white police officers in America. Like you, I was deeply saddened and appalled by what I saw. And I've spent a considerable amount of time this week thinking about how I should respond this morning, how we should respond as a church. And I've come to the conclusion that my first task is not to speak, but to listen. I'm a relatively wealthy, middle-class white man who has never experienced racism. I should not be the first to speak. Rather, I need to listen carefully and deeply to the experiences of others who suffer racism, prejudice and discrimination every day. We will respond, but first we must listen and learn. We must reflect deeply and repent if needs be and only then respond. This is not an empty, complicit silence, rather an intentional pause to listen and learn from others. But also let me be clear, to say yes to Christ is to say no to all forms of discrimination. It is to say no to racism, sexism and homophobia. The Bible teaches that all people are made in the image of God and loved just as they are. Which is what makes this next image so offensive. Jesus taught love and non-violence. And the fact that Donald Trump could use tear gas and rubber bullets to clear protesters from his path so that he could walk to a church he does not attend, holding a book he has never read, simply for a publicity stunt is abhorrent. He is abusing the book he is holding. And as a Christian, I find that deeply offensive. But let's recognize that he is not the first to do so. The Bible has been used or abused and even weaponized in support of discrimination for centuries. The Bible has been used to shore up slavery, sexism and homophobia. So as well as condemning the president's actions, Let's also reflect on how we use the Bible. 
Let's listen to the voices and experiences of black people, of people of colour, of women, of members of the LGBTQ community. Listen to the ways that they interpret and understand the Bible. Friends, we have some homework to do if we really want to be partners in bringing about change. First, we must listen and seek to understand others. Then we must use the Bible to tell a better story, one of welcome and inclusion. There is an old Jewish saying that any old donkey can kick down a barn, but it takes a special kind of donkey to build a better one. Reflection, critique, deconstruction on all that has gone wrong in the past is an important step on the journey of understanding, but ultimately... It is a commitment to building a better future that matters. Eventually, you have to get up from the dirt, put your shoulder to the plough and tell a better story and get on with building a better world. One that is based on kingdom values. One where we love generously, act justly, forgive swiftly, include selflessly and practice humility. We will return to this subject again over the coming weeks. But in the meantime, can I encourage you to do the hard work of listening and learning, the hard work of self-examination. Buy a book on black history. Listen to black voices on podcasts. Engage with the conversation. Here are a couple of resources that I've found helpful this last week. The first is an interview with Ibram Kendi on Brene Brown's Unlocking Us podcast. It was really helpful. I've also bought a copy of this book and I intend to read it over the coming weeks, Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. I'll let you know what I make of it as I read it, but if you have any good resources, then please do let me know. So, on to today's sermon, Psalm 145, a psalm of praise. There are 10 sermons I could easily have preached on this psalm, so I've just chosen a few thoughts to share with you today. Thoughts and ideas that jumped out of me as I studied this week, and I hope and I pray that they are helpful to you. One of my earliest memories is of my reception classroom at school, and of a washing line hung from one side to the other, with the letters of the alphabet pegged on it, A to Z. Psalm 145 is an acrostic poem, a particular style of Jewish poetry, where each pair of verses starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The idea is to express the thought that creation from the alpha to the omega, from A to Z, speak of the glory of God. I find it interesting that sometimes limits and restrictions can often be more creative, not less. A blank piece of paper can be daunting, but sometimes setting rules or restrictions can produce some of the most creative responses. Maybe you'd like to give it a try this week. Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise, and the writer is a poet. He or she uses three different words of praise in, for praise in the first three verses. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. The Hebrew words are rum, which I may be pronouncing badly, I'm sorry, but it's translated exalt and means to lift up or encourage. Barak, which translates praise, but means to kneel before. And halal, which translated extol, but means to shine or declare or speak enthusiastically. 
So let's take a quick look at for these three words. Firstly, run to lift up or encourage. Any parent will have had the experience of their child working on a piece of colouring or a piece of homework and wanting to encourage them. So to do so, we speak words of praise. Well done. That's fantastic. I love the colours you've chosen. That's so neat. I love the way you've managed to stay within the lines. We praise them in order to lift them up and encourage them. And this is the sense of that first word for praise, rum. I remember back in 2011 when I completed my first Ironman triathlon. The marathon was four laps around the city of Frankfurt and it hurt a lot. Sarah had travelled out to Germany with me and each lap I would look out for her. And as I ran past, she would shout words of encouragement. Well done, keep going, you're looking strong. And in despite of the fact that I was in significant pain, I always managed to pick myself up and smile encouraged by her words of praise. Anything worth doing in life is hard. Any growth includes pain, some stretch marks or some suffering. So let's encourage and lift up one another as we head towards the finish line. Let's call out the best in one another, paint a hopeful vision of the future and walk each other home. The second word the psalmist uses for praise is barak. Barak draws its meaning from other words. A berak, which means knee, or berek, which means to kneel before. So this idea of praise involves submission, bowing the knee before, recognising others' power and authority. Interestingly, this week we've seen many people kneeling in submission surrendering power to the other, but in peace and in love. The final word the psalmist uses to express praise is halal, which the NIV translates as extol, but it means to shine or to declare. We we find the word in hallelujah. Halal is to praise God by declaring what God is like, to speak of the characteristics and the goodness of God. And how we speak of God matters. If we have an image of God as an angry, retributive judge waiting to smite those who disobey him, then we will live in constant fear and judgment. But if we have an image of God as loving, waiting to embrace his children, patient and forgiving, then we need not fear God and we can approach in confidence. But it is a challenge to speak of God. In verse 4, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. We must practice humility when we speak of God. Beware of those who confidently tell you that they know what God is saying. I remember as a child, my dad built me a tree house. And one day I was digging in the dirt under the treehouse and I found buried treasure and brightly coloured jewels. I collected them and I stored them in a tin and they were beautiful and mysterious. What I'd actually found were brightly coloured resistors and capacitors from an old buried radio. But to a four-year-old, they were beautiful and mysterious treasures. I can no more fathom the mystery of God than a four-year-old can explain how a radio works. 
So when we speak of God, let's recognise how limited our words and ideas are. One of the greatest definitions of God's character and therefore of God is found in this psalm in verses 8 and 9. It's a formulation that is repeated elsewhere in the Old Testament, in Exodus and Numbers and Nehemiah, in Psalms 86 and 103, and also in Jonah. Uh, It would make a great sermon on its own. But if we must speak of God and we must try, then I think this is a great place to start. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. Well, let's look together at a few of those ideas. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, not vengeful and angry. We often sing of the amazing grace of God. Grace is defined as unmerited favour. It's getting what we don't deserve and sometimes not getting what we do deserve. It has been said there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less or any more than he does already. Think of the relationship between a parent and a child, one of unconditional love. Yet surely that child may do things that hurt, upset or even anger their parent. But the parent's love is not dependent on those things. Their love is unconditional, as is God's love for you and for me. We are all children of God, regardless of race, gender, age or orientation. God's love is gracious and compassionate. The psalmist continues, the Lord is slow to anger. Uh, Literally, the Hebrew there means slow to flare his nostrils, which seems like a really strange idea. Until you think of the times when you've been really angry. And you might say you've had your nose put out of joint or you flared your nostrils in anger. You can see where the idea comes from. Today, today we might think of God as having a slow fuse. A slow fuse is one that's designed to survive a quick surge without blowing. I know there have been times when I have a very short fuse, especially with my children. So I'm grateful that God has a slow fuse when it comes to me and to you. The psalmist continues, the Lord is rich in hesed. Hesed is a beautiful Hebrew idea and it's best translated as loving kindness. The Lord is rich in loving kindness. Is that how you see God? The Lord is good to all. His tender mercy is over all that he has made. Hebrew is an interesting language because words can have different meanings depending on their context. Often words also share overlapping origins. Let me explain what I mean. The word for tender mercies is raham. And raham is in the singular, it means womb. But in the plural, it means mercies. I don't think this is an inconvenient accident One commentator put it like this. The connection of this word with the womb gives us a picture of a mother's tender affection for her child. Her willingness to show mercy when her husband might not be so inclined. Her willingness to help an errant child 
back to the right path. I love that this description of God's mercy is so intentionally feminine. We know that God is neither male nor female, yet so often we only use masculine pronouns. This description of God is unashamedly female. So if we have to declare what God is like, let's declare a vision of God that's based on Psalm 145 verses 8 and 9. A God who is gracious and compassionate. A God who is slow to anger and rich in loving kindness. Who is good to all. And her tender mercy is over all that she has made. Of course, as a Christian, if I want to know what God is like and to see God's character in action, I look at the person of Jesus Christ. God is exactly like Jesus. So starting next week, we're going to begin a new sermon series focusing on the red letter passages. You may know that in some old Bibles, the words of Jesus were printed in red. So we're going to spend some time focusing on those words, on the red letter passages, exploring what Jesus and therefore what God is like in words and actions. But to wrap up for today... This has been a challenging few months and an especially challenging couple of weeks. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've given space and explored the full range of emotions and we must continue to do so. Everything belongs in our worship of God. But let me finish by telling you what gives me hope and hope for the future Verse four of this psalm says, one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. I'm grateful to my parents for the faith that they gave me. Most of us come to faith through the example of our parents and my parents are still a great example of faith to me. But what gives me hope is the example of our children and our young people. If racism and prejudice, if sexism or homophobia are to come to an end, then it will be through our teenagers and young people. They seem to naturally understand that all people are loved by God and they are a witness to us as adults. I can only hope that the racism, the prejudice that I see in our generation will die out as the young people take over. So teenagers, young adults, this is for you. Halal, shine. Do not be afraid to be fierce and confident in your faith and therefore in your desire to include others. It's what Jesus did and it is what we are called to do. You are an example to us adults. So carry on and shine. It reminds me of another Martin Joseph song. He's featured a lot recently. It's called Here Come the Young. Here come the young with open minds and hearts, inclusive from the start. They might just save the day, best get out the way. Here come the young. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we struggle to respond to the events of this last fortnight, give us wisdom. Give us open hearts. Give us a willingness to listen and to learn. 
to hear of others' experiences, to repent if necessary, and to work towards building a fairer and more just society. Forgive us for the ways we have misunderstood and misrepresented you or your word. Help us to declare confidently and boldly a vision of you based on these verses from Psalm 145. Lord God, we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger, rich in loving kindness, that your tender mercy is over all of your creation. Help us to live day by day in the light of this vision of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.